Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, Nats fans, welcome to the second homestand and one of the longest homestands of the season. Walters is a great spot to meet up with friends and grab a bite to eat before any Nats game. This week, Walters has added pulled pork croquettes to the menu, a great appetizer to share with friends over a bucket of old-time lager. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Soto is at third. Escobar at second. Cruz at first. Two to one, Marlins leading the pitch. Swing and a fly ball to deep left center field. Back on it is the center fielder, Sanchez, to the warning track, and the ball dies, knocked down by the wind, and he makes the catch for the out to retire the side. And on another night, that might have been a grand slam for Yadiel. Bender holds. Robles runs the pitch, swung on, hit in the air to left field. De La Cruz moving back, the wind knocking it down. He makes the catch, and the game is over. And the Nationals come up short again. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, April 28, 2022, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Believe it or not, it did happen. The Nats did win two of three games at the reigning defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves. And that actually happened earlier this month. You weren't dreaming. That actually took place. It's what has happened since then that sticks in all of our minds right now. Seven consecutive losses now for the Nats. The team is 0-7 since a 6-7 start to the season. And the latest loss, a 2-1 loss to the Miami Marlins in Nationals Park on Wednesday night in Game 2 of a three-game series. That's now 6-14 and on the season. And the number 14 stands out because 14 is the Nats' run total over the course of their seven-game losing streak. We know that offense is down across Major League Baseball so far this season. We know that there's a lot out there regarding the state of the baseballs in Major League Baseball and is something screwy going on. But the Nats, relative to the rest of the majors, still are really struggling offensively. And Mark, uh, this game on Wednesday night, uh, I don't know if this is a new low point for the Nats offensively so far this season, but this certainly was not a banner performance by the Nats offensively. No, it felt like a low point, Al. I mean, for seven innings, there was literally nothing going on. They had nothing that resembled a rally at any point. The majority of their hits, I think all of their hits, except for one, came with two outs. And it wasn't followed up by anything for seven innings. And then in the eighth inning, you get this little spark of something. 
and they score a run, and yet they didn't even get a hit. It was two errors. One of them just gifted away to them. Two walks, one of them with the bases loaded. And then one really nice drive by Yadiel Hernandez that died at the warning track. But, I mean, that was it. There was nothing else going on in this game. And I want to give Pablo Lopez some credit. He's been fantastic. He's got an ERA, like, basically of zero at this point. But there is just nothing happening with this lineup as a group. And it does concern me. We keep saying it's going to get better. And, and yes, it's not going to be this bad forever. But I thought all along this is a team that's going to be in a lot of 6-5, 7-6 kind of games, back and forth. That's not happening at all. The shame of this is that they're getting some decent pitching performances, especially from their bullpen, and they're not taking advantage of it at all. And I don't know that you can trust the pitching staff to hold up in the long term. So it feels like they are just squandering games that are very winnable right now. It is, of course, still early in the season, but you know, we are now 20 games into the season. We are now an eighth of the way into the season. Like, the season is happening, okay? Like, the season is taking place here. The 2022 MLB regular season is underway, and the Nats have scored a total of just 65 runs over the 20 games. That works out to 3.25 runs per game. And I've mentioned this previously, but the Nats had an 11 run performance, an 11 2 win at the Braves on April 11th. You take that game out of the mix. The Nats, in their other 19 games this season, have 54 runs. That works out to 2.84 runs per game. I mean, the offensive output has been atrocious. And you're right, Pablo Lopez has been great. Four starts, ERA of 0.39. But again, like compared to all other teams in baseball, like the Nats have been one of the worst hitting teams in the sport. I mean, I keep coming back to this, but I'm not going to get off this until this changes. The Nats don't hit for any power. Four hits on Wednesday night, a double and three singles. I mean, that's not good enough. You know, it's funny. If you watched or listened to Davey Martinez's postgame press conference, he kept talking about that double by Yadiel Hernandez like it was this magical moment. It was a well-struck ball. But, you know, you need more than just that, okay? You can't keep coming back to the Yadiel double in the bottom of the fourth. Like, okay, great. But you didn't do much of anything else. As the game went on, I thought it was interesting. Davey did talk about how he feels like the Nats are almost being too passive. We got to be aggressive in the strike zone. I still believe we're taking too many fastballs. I really do. Um, We just got to be more aggressive in the strike zone. Maybe there's something to that. A subtle but notable lineup change on Wednesday night. The very much struggling Nelson Cruz. He and Josh Bell were flip-flopped in the Nats lineup. So the way that the Nats lineup has worked for basically the entirety of of this season has been that Juan Soto has been the Nats number two batter and Nelson Cruz has been the Nats number three batter. Well, Nelson Cruz on Wednesday night was the Nats number four batter for the first time in a game in this 2022 regular season. Cruz on Wednesday night went 0 for 3 with a bases loaded walk and Josh Bell was bumped up to that number three spot. What'd you make of that? He's just trying to do something different and I think looks at this as, you know, Josh Bell's one of the only guys who's been producing at all. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez has been one of the few others who's been hitting here lately. So try to put them sandwiched around Cruz, and maybe that'll help get something going. Maybe having more of a threat behind Soto would get him going. Obviously, it didn't really do much in this case. Davey said, look, you're going to see him try some different things now. I think we've reached that point. You're 20 games in. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And in fact, he even gave the quote. He said, you know, the definition of insanity (laughs) is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So he knows it. And I think he is searching for some other kind of combo that might get this thing going. It has not happened yet. Nelson Cruz is going to have to hit 
You know, it's going to have to happen here at some point. And it's not like you stick him on the bench because they got somebody else desperately needing the playing time or somebody else who clearly is a better alternative. They don't. They need Nelson Cruz to be the Nelson Cruz they thought they were getting. They need Juan Soto to be Juan Soto and not be trying to do too much. I mean, you're definitely seeing guys trying to make too much happen here. We saw it the previous night on the bases. I think we maybe saw it here in their approach at the plate, but also in the field. I mean, Soto throws a ball away at first base. There was no reason to do that at all. And it's just a case of he's trying to make too much happen. He's trying to compensate for everything else that's not going right. And that's a bad sign if a team is doing that. It lets you know that they know deep down that they are stuck in a losing streak and they're not scoring runs. So they're thinking, well, we, I got to do something else to try to win a game. It's not working. Yeah, you had some defensive sloppiness by the Nats on Wednesday night. That error that Mark was just talking about, Soto committing a throwing error in a one-run Marlins fifth on a totally unnecessary throw to first base on a Jacob Stallings two-out single to right field. Here's the pitch. Swing and a pop-up shallow right coming in so Soto can't get to it. He'll feel it on a hop and throw to first and throw it past the first baseman, Bell, and it goes into the camera well and out of play. Soto didn't have a chance to throw out Stallings at first, and while charging in, fielding it on one hop, lobbed it out of the reach of Bell. Just a bad decision and then a bad throw by Soto, and, you know, in a one-run loss, an error like that stands out. We also had a Josh Bell missed catch error on a pickoff attempt by reliever Steve Ciszek, although you could argue that Ciszek should have been charged with a throwing error. That came in the top of the six. But you know, it's funny, you had an instance on Wednesday night of Soto trying to do too much. You also had an instance on Wednesday night of Michael Franco doing too little. Here's the 0-2 to Franco, swing and a drive deep down the left field line toward the corner, hooking, 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 off the wall in play. Franco has to make the turn and slam the brakes on and head back to first base. I think he thought he might have hit it out. Yeah, he didn't run. He didn't run. So Franco did have a couple of hits on Wednesday night, two for four with two singles. But bottom of the ninth, he has a two-out single off the left field wall on an 0-2 pitch. So first of all, good piece of hitting on an 0-2 pitch to get a hit. Second of all, how often do you see a guy get a single off a ball hit off the wall? But what happened was that Michael Franco was uh, jogging rather casually, very clearly thought that he had hit a home run, was not running particularly hard, and ends up only getting a single on the play. Now, it doesn't matter because it's not like the Nets were going to drive him in or anything like that. But, you know, I hated seeing something like that. Everything matters right now. And, you know, you're Michael Franco, okay? Maybe you should be out there hustling a little more since you're with the team via a minor league contract. I don't know. That's just me. But I didn't like seeing that from Franco. And I was surprised that Davey, in his postgame presser, I'm not saying I wanted Davey to, like, rip Franco, but I don't know. Davey seemed to be rather accepting of what Franco did. Oh, man, that ball bounce kicked right back to him. I mean, he, he was running hard there. He ain't the fast guy. Um, he made a good turn. And, you know, I'm glad he didn't try because he would have been out. That may all be true. But you know what? You don't know that the moment you hit the ball. Your job is to run hard, get to first base, and then evaluate the situation and see if there is a double in the cards or not. Because if the ball doesn't carry him that way, if the left fielder doesn't pick it up cleanly, you've got yourself a double with two outs in the ninth, and all of a sudden a base hit can tie the game. So I didn't love it either. I, I was a little surprised at the way that, like you said, he sort of excused it. I know it didn't change the end result. But it's a bad look for this team and for that guy at this time. They need to be holding themselves, I think, to a different standard right now. They cannot afford. This team is not in a position to be able to afford to make any kind of mental mistakes. You know, physical mistakes are going to happen. They cannot afford any mental mistakes right now.
No. And just so many guys are not hitting. I mean, we talked about Nelson Cruz. Uh, Juan Soto now is in a bit of a rut here. He goes 0 for 4 on Wednesday night. I mean, Juan Soto has drawn a total of two walks over his last five games. We know how it goes with Soto. He's at his best when he's drawing his walks. He's not been drawing his walks lately. The struggles of Nelson Cruz, as you've pointed out, probably have something to do with that. Uh, you know, a guy like Lane Thomas, I mean, he on Wednesday night was an at starting center fielder, number seven batter, 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. You know, I like Lane Thomas. I'd, I have wanted to see more of him, but he has not hit so far this season. He has an OPS of 478. Uh, we did see Alcides Escobar not be the Nats starting shortstop on Wednesday night, but Lucius Fox was the Nats starting shortstop on Wednesday night. No, Luis Garcia was not called up. The starting shortstop's first name began with an L, but the L was for Lucius, uh, not Luis. And Lucius Fox on Wednesday night, 0 for 4. Lucius Fox now at the major league level this season is 0 for 18 with no walks. Now, look, he's not supposed to be playing like he is anyway. But geez, 0 for 18 with no walks. He's literally doing nothing as a batter so far this season. Yeah, and as of a few days ago, he knew it and and was starting to worry about it and trying to do too much. And then Davey had a talk with him and basically said, don't even think about getting your first hit. Go do all the other stuff. The hit will come eventually. But you get up to 18, that's a pretty big number. And it's hard to ignore that when you step to the plate. And this was a big night for Lucius because on the other side of the field is Jazz Chisholm, his longtime friend from the Bahamas. They're only the eighth and ninth native Bahamians to reach the big leagues and the first to face each other in a big league game since 1961. So they were really looking forward to this one. And both of them afterwards were talking about how much they hoped he'd get his first hit so they could share that moment together. It was unfortunate. I mean, he ends up as the last batter in this game with the tying run on first. And he ends up hitting a fly ball to left. Again, a guy who shouldn't have been in this position to begin with. You know, they never in a million years imagined that Lucian, Lucius Fox is going to be uh, starting games at shortstop for them. But if he's in there, he's got to at least provide some kind of offensive threat. Uh, and he has not really done that. Aside from that great safety squeeze way back in the opening series against the Mets, he really hasn't done much of anything. And it's not like he's had close calls either. Um, these have not been great at bats in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, Lucius Fox at this point is known for two things, a safety squeeze and puking, okay? I mean, that's just like those are the two things that he's known for, and uh, one of the two isn't so good. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need and Make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. That's two years. Just call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. As you likely know, natural gas prices continue to rise. Does your energy bill say that you're using more energy than similar homes? This is because you need new windows. Increase the value of your home with curb appeal and save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient window nation windows buy two windows get two windows free pay nothing for two years 
no money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Save thousands of dollars. These are savings that you'll only see once this year. Take advantage of Window Nation's special offer. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Tonight, Fetty swings and misses, mostly come off his curveball. This will be pitch number nine. It's on the way. And a swing and a miss. That was a fastball. Pumped it by him. Well located toward the outside corner. So Fetty keeping up the strikeout printing pace. He's had one in each inning. The Nats starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Eric Fetty. Now, if you know your Eric Fetty history, you know that he has owned the Miami Marlins over the years. Eric Fetty came into this game over seven career regular season starts with an ERA of 143 against the Marlins. So seven career regular season starts against the Marlins, ERA of 143. Uh, Fetty in this 2-1 loss to the Marlins at Nationals Park on Wednesday night wasn't bad. He just didn't last for very long. Uh, Two runs in four and two-thirds innings. He only gave up three hits, a homer and two singles. Uh, The homer was a two-out solo homer by Jesus Aguilar to left center for a 1-0 Marlins lead in the top of the third. The problem for Fetty was the pitch count. He issued three walks. He did have five strikeouts, but as we've discussed, the downside to getting a bunch of strikeouts is that your pitch count gets driven up. So if you're watching this game, you're seeing some walks, you're seeing some strikeouts, You also saw Marlins batters fouling off a bunch of pitches from Fetty. So bottom line, he threw 91 pitches in his four and two-thirds innings. And the net result was another instance of an ads pitcher uh, starting a game but not lasting for even five innings. But this time, it wasn't because a guy was necessarily really bad. It's just that uh, Fetty's pitch count got sky high. They fouled off 18 pitches in four and two-thirds. That's a lot. There were a bunch of instances of him getting ahead in the count and just not being able to finish him off. And we've talked about that before. They know it. Davey was talking about how he maybe, when he gets ahead like that, is trying to make the perfect pitch instead of just reaching back and trusting that he can throw an effective quality pitch and get an out. It doesn't have to be a strikeout. It can be a weak contact. But, I mean, here's the epitome of Eric Fetty's night. The top of the fourth, he retires the side on two ground balls and a strikeout. That's as you know, about as good of an inning as you're going to have. It took him 24 pitches to do that to three batters. He was lamenting it afterwards. It it was frustrating to him. He knew that he felt really good on this night, that his stuff was good. He was pitching well. But that's a night that when you're throwing like that, you've got to be able to give at least six innings, and he just couldn't get there. So that's a frustrating thing to see happen. And unfortunately, something we've seen from him before. This isn't some new development. Um, He very much has trouble finishing off hitters once he gets ahead. And uh, when the pitch count gets that high, he's just not going to go deep in a game. Yeah, Fetty was coming off a rough outing. You know, he got rocked in his last start, that 11-2 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks in Nationals Park the previous Wednesday night. Seven runs, six earned in three into third innings. If you look at Fetty's four starts so far this year, he's actually been solid in three of the four starts. I mean, he was solid in this game against the Marlins on Wednesday night. His first outing of the season, 4-2 win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park on April 10th. Two runs in five innings, five strikeouts. Then a 7-2 win 
at the Pittsburgh Pirates on April 15th, two runs and five innings, six strikeouts. So if you're just looking at like basic run prevention, he's been good in three of the four starts. He had the blow-up start, so that skewed some of the season uh, numbers for Fetty. But the common theme here is he doesn't last long in games. You know, five innings, five innings, uh, three and a third innings, four and two thirds innings. And this isn't just a this season thing. This is what Fetty has been. Now, look, if you can give good performances and consistently go five innings, I mean, (laughs) there is value in that. This pitching staff will take that. And actually, if you're saying like, who has been the Nats second best starting pitcher so far this year? I mean, Josiah Gray to me is number one. Fetty might be number two. Again, I mean, that's not saying a lot. It's like saying someone's the nicest guy in prison. But still, Fetty is doing okay. But I think we are at a point, as we've talked about, this is kind of who he is. Like, I don't know anymore that the phrase, the development of Eric Fetty should be used. Like, it's kind of like, this is what he is at this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, he is going to be a fifth starter as long as he sticks around up here. And if and when they do have other pitchers coming back from injury, coming up from the minors, He's going to be on the chopping block and it's going to be decision time at some point for them. And that's why if you're Eric Fetty right now, you have to be thinking, I don't want to leave that in the hands of the decision makers. I want to, when we get to that point, uh, make them believe that uh, that I'm still, you know, that I need to be a part of this rotation, and that somebody else is going to be the odd man out. You know, we've seen one change so far, I guess, with Josh Rogers now in the bullpen and Aaron Sanchez up here. Um, Fetty might be the next one on the list. So it it's kind of imperative for him to just be a, a little better. It's, it's not a lot. You know, I, there's been some good stuff there, but you've got to go a little deeper in games. You've got to minimize, uh, you know, the number of pitches and just those couple of critical mistakes he makes. And maybe there's a chance that he can do that. But, um, you know, I think the clock is ticking a little bit here. If he consistently is doing this, He's not going to be in the rotation all year. At some point, they're going to have some better options and have to make that call. Well, while we're talking about the state of the Nats rotation, so Patrick Corbin will indeed be the Nats starting pitcher for game three of this series, Thursday afternoon at Nationals Park at 105. Davey Martinez did finally announce this on Wednesday. The presumption had been that Corbin would be the guy, but very interestingly, the Nats didn't formally announce this until Wednesday. His ERA is 11-20. He's coming off a nightmare of a start this past Friday night. Is it accurate to say that Corbin on Thursday afternoon will be pitching for his spot in the Nats rotation, or would you not go that far? I'm not going to go that far only because of what I'm sensing and hearing from everyone involved. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the case. (laughs) Uh, I think I could talk about it after his last one. It felt like a turning point that maybe could spell the end of the line for him, but All the indications, at least publicly from uh, coaching staff and beyond, has been that he is a part of this rotation and is not in any immediate danger of losing that spot. You know, again, somebody else would have to prove that they deserve to take that from him. You know, if he only makes it to the second inning again and gets rocked, then maybe you have to have that conversation. But I think they're expecting better stuff from him against the Marlins lineup. He's had some success against them. You hope that he got some things worked out in the bullpen the other day. That was the reason that they waited to make the call, just to make sure that he got through that with no issues. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, at this point, I think every start is critical for him. He, he can't keep doing what he's doing and expect to last much longer. But I don't know that I would say that this is kind of the do or die moment for him, in part just because there isn't anybody else that you're saying this person has to be in the rotation instead of him. They just don't have that guy at this moment. They may be getting there in the not-too-distant future, 
but I don't know they're necessarily there quite yet. Well, we did get some updates on some Nat starting pitchers on the mend on Wednesday. Uh, Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross threw off mounds on Wednesday in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, next up for them will be facing live batters. Also, Sean Doolittle and Hunter Harvey, two relievers on the mend, uh, have been cleared to resume workouts, but not throw yet. When it comes to Strasburg and Ross, do you have a sense on who will be pitching for the Nats at the major league level first? Or is it too early to uh, say that there's a leader in the clubhouse in that regard? So what's interesting is Davey actually said today that they're on the same schedule right now. (laughs) And I don't know that we necessarily saw that coming all along. We knew Joe Ross being on the 60-day IL would have to be out until June, whereas Strasburg maybe could be ready at some point in May, if not in June. Now, there's a lot of, you know, long way to go. They still have to now start facing live hitters then maybe a simulated game, then you go on some rehab assignments and all that. So things can change and, you know, one of them can progress a little faster than the other. You know, with Joe Ross, we haven't really talked about him much, but by all accounts, he should be in good shape here. I know he had the elbow injury last year. He felt it again in the spring and they got worried, but they found out that it was a bone spur and took care of that. So, you know, in theory, that's the only thing you have to worry about now. And that's healed and it's just a matter of building his arm back up. So maybe there's actually a clearer idea of a time frame for him to now go through the whole rehab and make it back at some point in June. Whereas Strasburg, like we've been saying all along, it's kind of all sort of charting a roadmap here as they go. And it's all going to be based on how he feels. And we've talked about this. We've broached the subject of why is it that this has taken longer than initially expected? Why was he facing live hitters in March and then all of a sudden backed off that? I asked about that today. Davey gave his explanation and basically saying that at some point there in spring training, Steven wasn't real pleased with his mechanics, didn't feel like things were in sync, going right. So they decided to back off, kind of start over. And remember, we talked about in spring training, he started pitching out of a windup again for the first time in five years. He's still doing it. So I think there's a sense of he wasn't getting the life on his fastball just out of the stretch, at least given the current state of his arm and felt like I need to do something to get my lower half in it more to help generate some more power. And so he's trying it out of the windup, and that's what he's been working on for the last month or so. Now that he's feeling good with that, he's going to start facing hitters and see how it goes. So, I mean, it's a work in progress with him. Like we've said, there's no guarantees of anything. Uh, It's, I would guess, based on what we now know, we're probably looking at at least a month for him to build himself up. This is essentially now his spring training, I guess. Uh, and with always the caveat that something else can happen along the way, there's no guarantees that, you know, he's just going to pitch every fifth day and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, the entire Steven Strasburg situation has been alarming from the get-go with this thoracic outlet syndrome. As we've discussed, that's been almost like a death sentence for pitchers. He underwent the surgery last July 28th. Understand though, Uh, Davey Martinez on March 23rd said that the goal for Strasburg in this 2022 season was 20 to 25 starts. Well, it's now late April. It doesn't look like he'll be making his major league debut until at least well into May, if not June. Uh, He's not making no 20 to 25 starts this season. I think at this point, if he can make 15 starts, you take that if you were the Nats. So, you know, already the bar is being lowered. And I think sort of like we're just monitoring this and saying, Even the modest expectations that were set more than a month ago now by Davey are not going to be met. He's not going to make 20 to 25 starts at the major league level this season. And, you know, it's just another reminder of he's coming off something that has wrecked a lot of pitchers. And hopefully Strasburg is different and everyone is rooting for him to succeed here. But 
this is very much an uphill climb uh, that he's putting forward here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Bases loaded, Machado coming set. Action beginning of the Nats bullpen. Steve Ciszek. Here's the 3-1. Low to the outside. Ball four. And Machado has come in and walked two consecutive batters and walked a run home. And Miami leads by the score of 2 to nothing. All right, Nats bullpen on Wednesday night was good. Uh, five relievers officially combined for four into third scoreless innings. I say officially because Andres Machado did struggle. Came into the game top of the fifth. Runners on first and second, two outs, Nats down, one nothing, and he issues a two-out six-pitch walk of Jesus Aguilar to load the bases, then issues a two-out five-pitch bases loaded walk of Jorge Soler. But the rest of the bullpen ended up being effective. Steve Ciszek, scoreless top of the sixth. Erasmo Ramirez, scoreless top of the seventh. Tanner Rainey, a perfect top of the eighth. Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the ninth. And I said Tanner Rainey's name that way. Because we just have not seen much of Tanner Rainey here lately. Uh, So Wednesday night was April 27th. His previous appearance had come on April 23rd. His previous appearance prior to that had come on April 19th. We just have not been seeing much of Tanner Rainey. As we've talked about, we've seen seen a whole lot more of, say, Victor Arano than we've seen of Tanner Rainey. And I guess if you're Davey, you know, your team's in a seven-game losing streak. You can't keep waiting to be leading in games to use your A bullpen. Like these guys need work. And so Tanner, thankfully, got some work on Wednesday night. Yeah, well, they haven't held a late lead since that doubleheader against the Diamondbacks, which was the last time that he had pitched before this. And so at some point you say, hey, let's put him in there and what was still a close game and try to keep it there. And he did his job. Look, Tanner Rainey, it's six scoreless appearances now for the season. He's quietly looked very good. Unfortunately, there haven't been as many high leverage spots as you would want, but that's not his fault. That's the team's fault. So you would hope sooner rather than later, there are opportunities for him to pitch the eighth or the ninth inning with a lead. Kyle Finnegan, I thought, has looked pretty good, too, just has not had the opportunities. And 
it's a shame. Like I said, they've been getting good pitching performances, especially from the bullpen. And if they were just hitting a little bit, it might be a different story. And now you're taking advantage of these pitching performances. And unfortunately, they're squandering them right now. And you hope that the storyline doesn't completely flip on its head here at some point where they start scoring runs, but now the bullpen is blowing games, which I don't think any of us would be surprised if that happens eventually. You hope the bullpen can keep this up. You hope that it then starts happening while they have a lead and that they take full advantage of how well they're pitching. Yeah, I mean, you have a phrase in football, complementary football, where the offense and the defense complement each other. You're not seeing complementary baseball from the Nats because what you just said, I think, is totally going to happen. The Nats are going to hit, and what's going to happen is the pitching is going to fall apart. We saw this last year, if you remember. The Nats had stretches in which they hit really well, but the pitching was awful. And then there actually were a few times when the Nats pitched well, but the hitting ended up not being that good. I mean, that, when you're a bad baseball team, that's the kind of thing uh, that takes place. So we'll see. Uh, the Nats wrap up this lengthy 10-game homestand Thursday afternoon, 105 against the Marlins. Then comes a nine-game trip out west, three games at San Francisco, three games at Colorado, three games at the Angels. I'm going to ask you a question that I could not ask you last season because you're in the clubhouse now this year. Are you sensing frustration? Are you sensing like these guys feel like the season is starting to already fall apart? Or do you feel like this team is still uh, in a at least decent place mentally, given that, again, the record is 6-14 and 14 and the team is mired in this seven-game losing streak? I think they're certainly frustrated at these losses uh, and at the lack of hitting, to be sure. I mean, that, you know, it's hard not to feel that way. But what I have not seen so far, at least, has been um, a lot of really, like, down vibes. It's not like the clubhouse is dead silent. It's not like guys are walking on eggshells. Certainly, you're not hearing one side complain about the other side, anything like that. And when they come back the next day, pregame, everybody seems to be in a you know upbeat, good mood. So I, I think they're doing okay as far as that goes. But yeah, you need to start winning some games. They know the situation. They look up at the standings and they know where they're at. Not that any of these guys, realistically, if you asked them, you know, to put on the lie detector test, they know this team isn't supposed to win this year. But they also believe that they can do better than what they have been. And, you know, they want to keep it going as long as they can and not bury themselves here before the end of April. But I have been impressed. It's been a pretty good group in terms of their morale and everything else. I think individuals are feeling like they're letting people down. You know, I know Nelson Cruz talked about it. He knows he needs to be better. I know Alcides Escobar is down on himself. He knows he needs to be better than this. You know, and, and starting pitchers, know. Patrick Corbin, of course, knows that he's letting everyone down, needs to be better uh, than this. But it hasn't gotten to a point where I think you're seeing, you know, a lack of effort or griping or anything like that. We have not reached that point. You hope it doesn't get to that point. And for all the struggles that this team has had in really now four of Davey Martinez's five seasons, which is pretty crazy when you think about it, and even the one great season had plenty of struggles the first two months of it, they've never really had an issue, a clubhouse issue at any point during that, as far as we can tell. It's always been a pretty upbeat, positive group that hasn't turned on each other. You, you really haven't seen any of that. And I do think that's one of Davey's best qualities, that he's able to keep everyone together like that. You hope that this one doesn't evolve into that. I haven't seen any signs myself of that yet. 
Yeah, uh, I think Davey definitely gets a lot of credit for that. And as much as people like to poke fun at like the go 1-0 every day thing, I think there is something to, you know, he said that again during his postgame presser on Wednesday night, but I think there is something to that. Davey, I think, is a good man. I think people sort of follow that lead, and uh, he has kept this team together through some rough uh, patches. There's no doubt about that. Well, you tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, uh, email Tim Shilvers at natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you're not already doing that, subscribing to the podcast costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. All Nationals highlights on Nat Shatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nat Chat Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.